Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about confronting an abusive church leader. But before we jump into that topic, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And if you are benefiting from the things you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, well, PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, friends. So today's question uh, is about leadership and a little passage in the book of First Timothy. So the question reads like this, how would you respond to church leaders who say that they can only hear or act on a pastor or elder's wife's claim of abuse if she brings two or three witnesses with her as taught in First Timothy 5, 19? So that was a mouthful. Let me read it again. So the, the essence here is how would you respond to leaders in the church who are at this point unwilling to hear or act on an accusation of abuse from an elder's wife because they state that she needs uh, two or three witnesses according to 1 Timothy 5.19. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 5.19. This is... The NIV. I know this passage, so uh, hopefully I'll be able to walk through it. Uh, Verse 19 Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So that's the verse itself. Now, the context is really important, I think, because uh, the passage itself is, you know, Paul unpacking a little bit of responsibility for Timothy and for elders in uh, in general and how they treat people, how they care for folks in the church. And there's some defined classes of people, older men, widows, um, younger widows that are mentioned in this passage. And then there's a, a statement here about elders and leaders or pastors. It's where we get the famous don't muzzle the ox um, passage, you know, that elders that do a good job, those guys they're kind of worth what we're paying them. In fact, they're worth double, uh, according to what Paul's saying, especially those who do the work of preaching and teaching. Um, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain. In other words, you know, let the man eat. Help, help the pastor out. A worker deserves his wages. It's in that context, then, that he introduces this idea of uh, entertaining an accusation. Uh, and again, I'll read the NIV version, and we'll talk a little bit about the kind of the language here. Uh, Don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses, but those elders who are sinning, you're to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus uh, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. So, uh, and then there's a warning, right? Just be careful who you ordain is kind of the next one, right? Um, and then a great passage about taking a little wine for your stomach. But Paul is seemingly 
putting a restriction on how uh, an accusation can be leveled. And, and I think um, it's somewhat being taken to the extreme or perhaps too literally uh, according to what our questioner is experiencing. It seems like our questioner or someone they know has come to church leaders uh, with a claim that they're being abused by their husband who happens to be an elder in the church. And the church leader's response is, we can't even hear this, you know, unless there's two or three witnesses. And that's kind of an Old Testament principle. It comes out of Deuteronomy. I really do think Paul is reiterating kind of this process of adjudication, how, how we hear claims and accusations in the church. I do think the language is a little bit clumsy because if you read in a, um, in a study Bible or in a Bible that highlights additions, you'll notice that uh, some key words, let's see, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So that unless it is brought, that might be a section like that might be highlighted or italicized. Paul doesn't really give uh, a lot of language here that would be clearly understood in English. In fact, the Greek word that kind of gets brought up is um, means before or in front of. Uh, it's similar to the words that are used in Matthew 18, which I would say, again, serves our purpose as well, which is um, if your brother sins against you, right, and you confront him and he doesn't repent, then bring two or three along with you. We would call those, in, in a biblically speaking, witnesses. I think it's the same principle here. And I know folks may disagree, but uh, I do not see in the passage that Paul is saying you have to have corroborating accounts in order to charge an elder with misconduct or a sexual assault or abuse. I don't think that the language here is actually saying that a singular witness is insufficient. I think the idea here is that these type of arguments need to be made in front of more than one person, that we need to bring this information before witnesses, individuals who are hearing and adjudicating the case. I hope this is making sense. And I think part of the reason why I come to that conclusion is Matthew 18, which has nearly identical language in the Greek and uh, verse 20, those elders who are sinning, like there's a confirmation aspect to the charge, right? And so there's a formal process that Paul wants to put in place to the church so that accusations against an elder are not just made publicly in front of the congregation. They're not just made privately and then um, unattended but they're made before witnesses that we've brought along others very similar to Matthew 18 to hear the account. Now I know that may not be a sufficient answer for say the, the leaders associated with our questioner, but I would really challenge, challenge the wisdom of this. We've been getting a lot of uh, questions, significant enough amount of questions that fall into this letter of the law, spirit of the law category where we're encountering a, a significant enough number of victims and survivors who are meeting, being met with resistance from their churches because of some nuance 
um, well, I don't really see that scripturally. Um, but with a little bit of discussion, we may see the wisdom, right? It's like, no, we have to have letter of the law specificity before we can act. And I, I think that's what's happening here is we don't want to hear this account. So first Timothy five nineteen becomes a great excuse to do that. When in the context, you know, we really need to be holding our leaders accountable if they're worth being honored as good pastors, then they're worth being corrected if they're operating poorly. And I think the language here is much more. And I also think scripturally, like if you take the language and the questionable nature of the language here, and uh, even if you look at, I think it's in the King James version, let's just pull that up real quick, right? Let's do that. Um, Not that I'm a King James only guy, but I do think sometimes even if you go back and compare and contrast different translations you'll see some of the language barriers that we have in these verses so let's just let's just do that let's take a look real quick at the kjv i have it in front of me yeah so it it will use more of a, a judicial type language against an elder receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses so the argument could be could be made and of course verse 20 them that sin rebuke before all so notice the notice the language so what i'm suggesting is that paul is not saying that you need corroborating stories to hear an accusation you need witnesses to formally bring about an accusation so my husband's been sinning against me or the pastor of the church sexually assaulted me right there's been something, uh, an, an impropriety, a sin from the pastoral leadership level that's known only to him, me, and God. How do I follow the letter of this passage without someone else who witnessed my abuse? Well, I don't think the passage is saying that. Instead, look at it this way. I bring the charges to a couple people. In this case, the leaders that are unwilling to hear. And then husbands or, or pastors, I should say, you know, similar to Matthew 18, only this is a formal setting as opposed to more of an informal setting. Uh, the accusations are brought before two or three witnesses, people who hear the case. And then when elders have been confirmed, like it's con- we're convinced that he is sinning against others, we bring it before another group, the whole church, right? So listen to it again in the, in the King James against an elder receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses them that sin rebuke before all so what do we do before two or three witnesses we bring the accusation right we bring it before a small group first then we take it to the larger group so i think that that's a much clearer reading it's also more consistent friends with what we see throughout the new testament it does not seem to be consistent with what we know of the kingdom of God, the New Testament church, the scriptures re- regarding authority and, um, and sin to hide sinners, right? Or to uh, demand a larger threshold for leaders, to protect leaders. 
it seems much more that this is about a formal process that Paul wants to set up consistent with both the Old Testament and the New Testament for confronting sin. So I, I don't know if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. So how would I respond to church leaders who say they can only hear or act on a pastor or elder's wife's claim of abuse if she brings two or three witnesses with her? Is I, I probably would ask them if they would listen to this podcast. It may not convince them. If you are that leader and you are demanding uh, corroborating stories, I would encourage you to slowly read through uh, 1 Peter 5, the entire passage, uh, and to see if you truly believe that that's a consistent argument. I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter 18, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Titus chapter 3, other aspects of church discipline and responding to sin in the local church and see if that understanding is consistent or if it's a more re- if there's a more reasonable reading of the scripture um, and I believe I'm offering one which is this needs to be handled formally because we're dealing with a leader just like a leader who does well should be honored it's worth double a leader who is sinning against the congregation we need a formal process that doesn't begin with the mob. It begins with a couple people hearing the story and interacting with the story, and then pastors who are caught, found to be in sin, are brought before the entire congregation in a formal proceeding. And I think that actually would protect the individual in the question far more uh, than, say, the the notion of creating corroborating accounts um, also, the reading that's being offered really allows elders to do things in the privacy of a pastoral study, in the privacy of their home, um, that removes accountability, which seems inconsistent with the way uh, I read the New Testament, and in particular the way, um, yeah, that we read how we're sanctified, how we're called to confront one another, how we're called to be engaged in uh, confrontational ministry. So. Yeah, I hope that helps. A fascinating passage, really good question. Um, church leaders, uh, I would encourage you to uh, to pipe in on this. Uh, think through these together. I mean, what what will you do as elders, deacons, as leadership teams if an accusation of abuse is brought against one of your leaders? Will you listen or will you set barriers um, based on a more rigid reading of the passage? What do you think? Uh, 1 Peter 5, 19 is referring to. Well, that is a brief episode, but nonetheless, I think a helpful episode. Um, interesting question, uh, fascinating question about 1 Timothy five nineteen. I hope uh, the answer finds you well and with hope for your situation and hope that your leaders uh, will uh, take claims seriously will do due diligence and no longer dismiss uh, individuals who are seeking help. I want to thank you guys for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. It's just a privilege to, to be able to share time with you and answer some of these questions. So uh, if you uh, would, if you would help us out, uh, whatever platform you're listening on, would you rate, review, subscribe, like, follow, whatever they ask you to do that lets them know that you value uh, the PeaceWorks podcast. And if you want to know more about the resources that we have available at PeaceWorks, be sure to check that out at chrismoles.org. 
All right, folks, thanks for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, God bless.